Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The podcast ended its run in 2021, but all Fortune's Wheelhouse episodes remain available for all tarot explorers to enjoy. And we'll be periodically updating the intro and the outro with news and offerings from your co-hosts. The big news for me right now is that my latest book, The Living Tarot, is now out. This is the book version of my online class, which is also called The Living Tarot. Whether you go for the book or the class or both, the idea here is to help you recognize how the images in the cards relate to your everyday, ordinary life. As you master that language of fluent metaphor, you'll enter into a deep, rich conversation with the world of symbol. And that conversation, I personally believe, is the key to re-enchanting your own life. If you're new to tarot, this is the book that will get you up and running. And if you're an experienced reader already, it's meant to help fill in any remaining gaps that you might or might not realize that you have. And if you buy the book, you can send me a copy of the receipt for a $22 discount off the cost of the online living tarot class. If you're in the online class, you get a monthly Zoom meeting with me and other students, feedback from me on the major assignments, and if you graduate, a one-question reading from me. Oh my God, guys, it's such a good deal. If you'd like to send me your receipt, you can do that at tsusanchang.com slash livingtarotbook. tsusanchang.com slash livingtarotbook. Now, here's what Mel's been up to. She's just rebuilt her tarotcart.com website, which has a new info page about Thoth-inspired decks and a blog feature with weekly tarot articles. She also has a new auction site for one-of-a-kind creations, out-of-print items, prints, and original art, and that's at tarotcart.auction. Mel's first deck, the Rosetta Tarot, is back in a new large edition. It's the same size as the large edition of the Tabula Mundi Tarot, if you're familiar with that, and it has vibrant borders with English titles and correspondence symbols, and the card backs are printed with metallic ink. That's available at tarotcart.com. Mel will also soon be launching a new, ceremonially rendered, talismanic tarot. The major arcana are based on their descriptions in Alistair Crowley's 777, and the minors are based on the magical images of the Deccans, also from 777. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about Mel's new deck. For info about when the new tarot deck launches, and auction listings, and new tarot editions, and article links, and special sales, you can sign up for Mel's newsletter via the link at tarotcart.com. As for me, I've also just created a new thing I'd like to tell you about. You know the Nine of Swords in Rider-Waite-Smith? If you're like me, you may have noticed the beautiful blanket on the bed of the person having a nervous breakdown in that card. All my life, I've wanted that blanket, and recently, I created my own. It's got red roses, hand-drawn by me, and zodiacal glyphs on a blue patchwork background, and I made it while Mars was in the second decan of Gemini. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll know why that's important. You can purchase your very own Nine of Swords blanket at redbubble.com slash people slash tarotista slash shop. If you love Fortune's Wheelhouse, 
please consider supporting us on Patreon. Your monthly donations allow us to keep these episodes on the air for our many repeat listeners. And you also gain access to the archive of hundreds of posts and articles that we wrote for our original Patreon supporters. You can sign up for a one-time or recurring donation at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, thereby cementing your legacy as a superhero of the astral realm and earning our undying gratitude. Once again, that's patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now... Here's this week's episode. everybody. So here we are on our sixth planetary episode, the penultimate planetary episode. And we will be talking about Big J, Jupiter himself, the king, the greater fortune, the lord of thunder. Father of all, literally. (laughs) (laughs) The all powerful. So we're going to start as we always do with the Orphic hymn. I'll be doing the Greek and Mel will be reading the Apostolus Athanasakis translation. The fumigation for Zeus is from Storax, right? One of those mm, sweet resins, because like many of the gods, Zeus likes everything sweet. All right, here we go. Zeo polutimet et zeo afthit Much honored Zeus, indestructible Zeus. We lay Marturian Titemesta Luterionede Proselxen before you this redeeming testimony and this prayer. O Basileo, diasen kephalen efaneta dethea. O King, you have brought to light divine works. Gaia, thea meteroreunt upsechia sochtoi. And earth, goddess and mother, the hills swept by the shrill winds. Kai pontos, kai panthopos uranos entosetaxe. The sea and the host of stars marshaled by the sky. Zeo cronie escape tuche katai bata ombrimotume. Cronian Zeus, whose scepter is the thunderbolt, strong spirited. Pantogeneth larche panton, panton teteleute. Father of all, beginning and end of all. Se sichton auxeta catarsia pantotinacta. Earth shaker, increaser and purifier, indeed all shaker. Astrapaya brontaya keraunia futaliezo. God of thunder and lightning, Zeus the planter. Cleuthimu aiolomorphe, didu dugiana memphe. Hear me, O many-faced one, and grant me unblemished health. E renein tetean kai plutu doxan amempton. Divine peace and riches and glory without blame. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll take some of that. I'll take some of that. (laughs) I mean, what's not to like? (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be talking about all the cards of Jupiter today. And that includes, first of all, 
the Wheel of Fortune, which corresponds to the planet Jupiter. And then we will be also talking about its associated zodiacal majors, the Temperance or Art card for Sagittarius, and the Moon card for Pisces, as well as their related minor cards, the 8, 9, and 10 of Wands for Sagittarius, and the 8, 9, and 10 of Cups for Pisces. Uh, we will also be talking about the Decanic Minors of Jupiter, the 8 of Swords, which is Jupiter in Gemini 1, the Six of Wands, which is Jupiter in Leo 2, the Four of Swords, which is Jupiter in Libra 3, the Two of Pentacles or Discs, which is Jupiter in Capricorn 1, and finally, everybody's favorite, the Nine of Cups, Jupiter in Pisces 2. And we'll also be talking about all the four cards, because the number four corresponds to the Sephira Chesed, which is the Sephira of Jupiter. Probably a dozen cards or so. That's all. <laughs> it's bananas, but that's what we do. We usually start with a little bit of the astronomy, right? Yeah, just a little. Yeah. What can we say about Big Daddy Jupiter? <laughs> the largest of all the planets? Oh, yes. And the gaseous, too. Yes. <laughs> Covered with big storms, which is perfect for the lightning wielder. For sure. Full of hot air. The interesting thing, too, about Jupiter's place in the solar system is that he's kind of between a rock and a hard place between Saturn and Mars. Oh, neat. Yeah. All of his buddies, Mercury, the Sun, Venus, all the things he gets along with are pretty far off from him. He's kind of stuck there between Mars and Saturn. Yeah. And he also provides the relief between those difficult places. And we find that in every time we see that sequence of Saturn, Jupiter, Mars in the tarot. Speaking of relief, doesn't he also buffer the Earth from the asteroid belt? Does he? That makes that, sense. That, that band of asteroids, I believe, is he. It's there. Sucks them into his gravity, so it kind of, in an, in that sense, he's a protective influence on the Earth. That's right. He he represents our spirit of expansion because I guess he's like right there before the the final visible planet Saturn defines and delimits his. Name in Arabic is Al Mushtari, which means the uh, the provider of goods, the buyer or seller. Uh, there's a mercantile aspect, uh, a market aspect to Jupiter, you know, which kind of draws on his qualities of being kind of of and among the people, but also being associated with money big time. Oh, and this is another theme that we'll pick up. the uh, The Hebrew name is. I'm not sure if it's tzedek or tzadek. Um, they're all cognate and it means righteous. So, you know, when we see tzadi, the star, or, um, or not the star, <laughs> um, or the emperor, or the yeah. emperor right? Uh, when we see that letter, it, it has to do with righteousness and a tzadik is a righteous person. And it actually derives from a Phoenician term, Siddik, who was the god of justice and righteousness. And isn't Zadkiel the angel yes. of Hesed, which is associated, uh, the angel associated with righteousness and justice and themes like that? Exactly. They're all cognate. So these themes, both of fortune and of sort of divine rightness, are there right from the start with Jupiter. His cycle is like 12, 12 years. 12 years. Mm -hmm. yeah. I've just finished up my, 
my uh, fourth Jupiter return, I guess. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. And here we are. Jupiter's still in Sag. Still Jupiter hour here. Not Jupiter day, but we're making the most of it. Maybe we should talk a little just about the astrological aspects of Jupiter. Yes. Yes. Um, we think of him as the principles of expansion as opposed to the limitations of Saturn. Kind of the um, the higher mind qualities, philosophy, religion, you know, higher education, universal laws, divine laws, you know, uh, what I like to call teaching and preaching. <laughs> oh, nice. Teaching and preaching. That's good. Yeah, I kind of associate him with theories of everything. <laughs> you know, uh, the way that we try to understand the infinite with our finite brains. Also, the ideals associated with religion and yeah, I, the I law. A good example that was talking about the difference between Mercury as you know a force of communication and Jupiter. It said Mercury would choose the words of the Constitution, while Jupiter would describe the ideas and universal principles as to why the laws were needed. Ah, right, right. That communication with divinity rather than communication with man kind of deal. There's a principle of mercy and compassion that goes with Jupiter. We'll see a lot of that in the Kabbalah side of things. And he has a couple of different functions that way. Like in, if you contrast him to Saturn, he is the force of expansion and permission to do things the fortunes and wealth that allow you to do things where a Saturn delimits and constrains those things. If you contrast him with Mars, he's the mercy and ease and generosity of spirit, whereas Mars is the separation and yeah. cutting down. So he kind of contrasts with both of them, um, both in his position in the solar system and also, as we'll see later, in the cards and on the tree. Yeah, it's interesting um the relationship of Jupiter to Saturn, just because, you know, in mythology, Jupiter was Saturn's heir, right? Yes. And then also yes. when in Kabbalah, Jupiter is Saturn's heir too, because Hesed follows Binah. Right. You know, so it's kind of, there's right. a parallel there. Yes. Yeah, so the story, right, is Kronos swallows his children, Saturn. And isn't it the case that Rhea gives him a stone to swallow in case of Zeus? He swallows all his children, but when he gets to the last and youngest one, Zeus, mm -hmm. she gives him a stone to swallow and somehow Zeus helps her trick him into the whole deal. <laughs> right. And then he... Regurgitating the rest of the, the children. And then he somehow then becomes the firstborn, even though he's the youngest. Right. Because right. Because the he's the leader. Officially born till they're regurgitated by <laughs> Kronos. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, Saturn is our concept of time, but in a way, Jupiter is our concept of infinity, right? You know, so time that you can measure versus infinity that you can't, those eternal forces contending against each other. That whole myth is kind of interesting, too, because it's a repeat of what happened in the previous generation. Yes, so the Uranus and... and Mm -hmm. Orenos, um, except in that case, Orenos forced Gaia to um, swallow the children, and <laughs> and 
she became very uncomfortable with all these beings inside of her and uh, somehow gave a sickle of uh, adamantine to the youngest one who was Kronos. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> Hence the sickle. And, and when he and um, his wife were then having sexual intercourse, Kronos uh, lopped off daddy's <laughs> junk and um so the cycle repeated again in zeus because yes. he also castrated his father yeah but he stopped that cycle zeus broke that cycle because then it was um prophesied that the same thing was going to happen to him and so with his first wife metis instead of having her swallow the child or him swallowing the child he swallowed metis and mm. then athena was born from his head and he broke the cycle Clever dude. Yeah. That's why he's the king. <laughs> That's man. why he's the king. Yeah. yeah. Jupiter is, of course, like all the planets except for the sun and the moon, the traditional ruler of two signs, Sagittarius and Pisces. Sagittarius being the diurnal male sign and Pisces being the nocturnal female sign. And it's really interesting to notice that one is mutable fire and one is mutable water. There's like a real polarity between those two signs, but also a real similarity in in some sense. Like I was trying to think, well, Mm -hmm. how do these signs kind of, what do they have in common with each other? And I would say that the Sagittarian, you know, has the spiritual aspiration to the sublime, whereas the Pisces is more of like a transcendence and dissolving into the sublime. Absolutely. I definitely think there's something about aspiration versus dissolution going on. And you know what's really interesting is that both of them are story makers of a kind. I think of Sagittarius as a myth-making, legend-building, you know, this is how we create the stories we tell each other about our past and about ourselves and our things. But Pisces, I almost think of as being, these are the stories we have unconsciously within us, Mm. you know, the archetypal stories. Um, the dreams like and fantasies. The difference and similarity between Pisces as being psychic and Sagittarius as being prophetic. Yes. You know, it's yes, a I subtle like that. difference, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. there. Right. That's interesting. It's, it has to do with the sort of projection versus receptivity because in prophecy, I guess the whole point is to speak forth, right? Something Whereas, that will happen in the future. Right. Right. Whereas psychic is being receptive to anything, whether it's past, present, or future, what impressions are coming in. Right. And there's no imperative to tell anyone. (laughs) Right. It's just something you know. So it's like to tell versus to know, in a sense. Yeah. And I think that we actually see that with the two majors associated with Sagittarius and Pisces, you know, in the sense that the temperance or art card, which is associated with Sagittarius, kind of holds the function of all of those questions of faith, spirit, the divine connection, piety, uh, trials by fire, <laughs> literally. Um, whereas I kind of associate the moon with more the, the side of, you know, waxing and waning fortunes, dreams, uh, intuition and insight. So to know versus to yeah, tell and again. more of trials by water. Trials you know, by the, water. The subconscious the mm-hmm. things bubbling around down there. <laughs> For sure. Altered states of consciousness. Um, yeah. It's interesting, too. So they're both joined by the wheel. And I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So like 
the uh, the art or temperance card, the Sagittarius card, it's the, the Sagittarian is all about motion, you know, forward motion. Yet there's that balancing, that equilibrium, and that's the stillness. So the wheel is all about stillness and motion. On the Sagittarian mm-hmm. side, it's the motion balanced by the stillness of e- that equilibrium that juggling of um, the elements and then on the piscean side it's the stillness and that receptivity but then it's that motion of flux and reflux you know that that constant motion of the moon yes 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 the constant changing of the experience they're both about Mm -hmm. motion and stillness in their own ways just as the wheel is yeah and they also kind of represent the two different realms that Traditionally, Zeus is associated with, you know, the heavens, the thunderbolt, and the sea, um, before we discovered Neptune. <laughs> but uh, he was traditionally, and we see this in the Orphic hymn where we say, you know, kai pontos, kai panthopos, uranos entos etaxe, that means, you know, over the sea, and everything, and the skies, and I'm not sure what the English translation is, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much everything. Yeah. Pretty much everything. A host of stars marshaled <laughs> in the sky, and the earth, and the sea, and the wind, and all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's that equivalency of the heavens and the sea in, that we often see. Yeah, mm-hmm. the earth and the earth and the sky, which were mm-hmm. actually Zeus's parents. Uranus, right. the yeah. sky god, and uh, That's right. Gaia, the earth. Yeah, and another thing I was thinking about was, you know how we sort of talked in, when we were going through the cards the first time about how, you know, the elemental majors, like the hanged man, there's that sort of a combination of chariot followed by death, followed by the moon, and, you know, the story of his quest, his sacrifice, and what he received for it. The moon card is almost like that, the the altered state of consciousness, the the deep knowledge that was what he was bargaining for, uh, the hanged man on the tree or Odin or whatever you want to call him. And we never really did that sort of big story for the, for the fire side of it, for judgment, um, or the eon. But I was thinking that if you kind of go from, uh, emperor to strength slash lust to temperance slash art, it's almost like you take something from idea to product to end point, you know, and it's like, if you imagine the forging of a weapon or something, you know, there's the, there's the, uh, the beginning, the idea and the birth and fire. And then there's the, you know, the, the hammering and testing it. And then there's the tempering it and trying it out in real life, which I think is what the temperance card forces you to do. It forces you to see if the things that you believe in really work in real life. And, uh, and it's hard. <laughs> That's why, you know, it has that sort of reconciliation of opposites quality to it. Daughter of the reconcilers. Yeah. The bringer forth of life. Yeah. So I think if you kind of look at that eight, nine, 10 of Juan's story, you know, you can think of it as going public with the thing that you want to bring to life. And then, you know, um, the strength card is it's, uh, is it's, it's testing and the, and the 10, the oppression is the weight it has to bear under all that pressure. So I think the temperance card really holds all of that. And the eight, nine, and 10 of cups, you know, is that 
leaving the ordinary world behind, um, the, the, the visions that you're looking for, the fantasies, perhaps the dreams you're trying to make come true in the nine. And then the, the 10. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The card of wishes. And then the 10, I was thinking about this is almost like, you know, the, the gift you take away from that is the story that you tell yourself about yourself. It's like, that's how archetypes work. They're just stories we tell ourselves. And the moon is a way of, you know, that, that invisible process of forming those. It's interesting to me how those sort of two forms of story play out in those mutable signs like that. And they're about what you believe, not what's necessarily objectively true, which is something I think is so interesting about Jupiter's opposition to Mercury, right? Because, right. you know, and we should go through the dignities, but Mercury, you know, he, one of his, one of Jupiter's epithets is the disdainer of science. <laughs> because, you know, Mercury is the great advocate of science. What you see is what you get. You can measure it. You can hold it. You can define it. And Jupiter goes beyond that. Yeah. He's operating on faith. Yeah. So what are his dignities? Let's see. Well, we talked rulership. Mm -hmm. Pisces. Those are his rulerships, and which means his detriments are in signs, which are both mercurial, Gemini, Mm -hmm. and uh, Virgo. So that covers all the mutables. Yeah, he, he, um, him, and Mercury are buddies. They have that that contention, right? Because Mercury is always going to like take advantage of Jupiter's good graces, and Jupiter will always forgive him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then for exaltation and fall. It's um, uh, cancer is the exaltation, so um, Paul would be Capricorn. So yeah, and that kind of makes sense in the sense that you know you you expect Jupiter to do well, kind of you know in the height of the northern hemisphere daylight, and also that you know mm-hmm. Cancer is about protection and the enclosure, and Jupiter is a protective mm-hmm. influence. You know, wherever he whatever he touches is usually somehow blessed with a bit of extra protection you know right so it kind of makes sense that he'd be the protector of the home and the hearth and with cancer as the exaltation i see that too and i also think of you know again as the sort of ruler of the waxing and waning of fortunes he has that lunar connection through cancer as well you know there's this jupiter moon thing that we see both in the moon card but also in his uh, connection with cancer and then of course in capricorn he's constrained by the it's forces that, of Saturn. Which is really kind of mm-hmm. strange because it's almost as if Jupiter mm. can't really be all that bad no matter even in fall or detriment because, I mean, he's also so associated with money, you mm-hmm. know, which is a really Capricornian thing. <laughs> you know what? I saw, this is just like a, a very silly aside, but I saw a list of which zodiac signs made the most money. And it's not what you would think. The last one was Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> and like that the just person- one of those things to tweet people's notes? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> yeah, it was just like some stupid Clickbait. BuzzFeed yeah. listicle or something. It's who knows how they even measured it. They probably asked like five people right. <laughs> or 12, you know. But um, And I think the first was like Libra or something because, you know, working with people. I don't know. It was just funny. Well, it's like we were talking about in the Venus episode. I mean – People will debate it or not. I think Venus is really good for business because mm-hmm. business is all about relationships. Uh, relationships with people. You know, if you look at 
what Jupiter has been used for magically. I mean, everybody talks to Jupiter, number one, if they talk to anybody. He's a goodie. Exactly. <laughs> Especially in this last, you know, period of on, Jupiter Daddy. and Sag. The wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy, help me with the trust fund. Is it, I think, is this the grip or is this Picatrix? I can't remember. It's all a big soup. Uh, you use him to seek petitions uh, regarding sublime men, the powerful, mm-hmm. prelates, sages, preachers of religion, judges, judges. <laughs> virtuous men, dream interpreters. Dream interpreters. That's an interesting ah, one. Yeah, that is. Hermits, Pisces. philosophers, yeah, kings. Dream interpreters. That's the Pisces influence. Mm-hmm. And anything regarding peace and profit. Peace and profit, which is interesting because they don't always go together. And uh, I think right. in... What did, what did it say in the, in the hymn? Riches without blame? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's right. And uh, in 777, I think, what's his power? Acquiring political and other ascendancy. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of the same qualities in the sun and Jupiter in terms of just kingship, leadership, natural charisma, you know, the ability to sort of float to the top. You want to talk about Kabbalah a little bit? Oh, we have to do it eventually. (laughs) So, let's see. Do we want to talk about the Sephira first or the path? They're kind of related. Yeah, I'll just kind of do them jointly. Jump right on in. (laughs) The water's warm. One thing that's cool about the the magical image of the Sephira, Mm -hmm. Esed, is a mighty crowned and throned king. I mean, how... How perfect, How perfect is, is that? that? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, there he is, you know, Jupiter up on his holy mountain on his throne. Yeah, and I've seen some some other sort of ancient images that were used in magical working. Uh, so there's the crowned king. I've got clothed with garments of a saffron color, riding an eagle or dragon, of course, and in his right hand a dart. Um, and then I've also seen a naked man crowned. <laughs> Both hands joined together. Must be the Greek version. <laughs> yeah, right. Probably. <laughs> Both hands joined together and lifted up as if deprecating. I don't really know what they mean by that. And he's in a four-footed chair, carved. Oh, I saw that with his yeah. legs on the men's necks or something. And weird. there's four like winged boys carrying it. It's like an Agrippa thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then there's that theme of four, which of course we associate with Jupiter because of Chesed. Right. You the know, this is interesting. So the the mystical number of Hesed or Jupiter, you know, so the mystical numbers are when you add up the Hebrew letters. When, when you when you add up the sum of all the digits, so one plus two plus three plus four. Oh, I see. Is okay. ten. Oh, neat. The number yeah. of the wheel. Yes, of course. The tetractus, the the secret of the tetractus hidden in the tetragrammaton. That's cool. So Hesed as a concept. You know, we usually translate it as mercy, but the sort of the the nuance in it is that it's limitless love. It's unaccountable, mm-hmm. like as opposed to Gevora, which kind of provides all the accounting. Um, and Chesed, you know, I think of it as sort of the expression. It's a fatherly expression. It's a paternalistic thing. It's sort of like, our Greco-Roman idea of God is this like father figure, which of course is its thing. It's just a thing, right? But that's the way we project historically onto this um, concept of Chesed. Powerful and protective. Yeah. And if you've ever heard the 23rd Psalm, 
the final line in it is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And that's actually, that's actually chesed right there. It goes, ach tov chesed, yir defuni kol yamei And that, you know, that, that's chesed meaning goodness or mercy rather. Tov chesed is goodness and mercy. So that idea that no matter how bad things get, there is forgiveness and there's like, um, benefit of the doubt that will help right. ease your passage. Right. I've seen names like grace and compassion and then more royal sounding things like majesty and magnificence. Uh, yeah. As well as love and mercy. And yeah. Also glory, even though we think of glory as hoed, there's the whole, you know, lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram where we say the power and the glory mm-hmm. is, is the power is Gevora, is and, yeah, and the glo- the glory is Hesed. Yes, in fact, that that's from uh, one Chronicles. I think the whole those those five or six Sephira names. Uh, thine is the greatness and the power and the glory. And then I think there's something about the uh, foundation after that, the foundation of heaven after that. So you get all of the names. Thine is the kingdom. Yeah, uh, you get all Up of the names ages, in that yada, yada. Um, in one Chronicles twenty nine. I think it is. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that if you if you look into the scripture a little bit further, you can just see all of these terms that we throw about all the time coming alive as if they're all on purpose and shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then there's, um, yeah, I guess you'd call it the God name of Hesed El or Al, mm-hmm. which would be the Aleph Lamed, Aleph Lamed, the, yeah. the ox and the ox goad, which is kind of interesting because the fool, you know, the the ten reduces to a one, which is Mercury, but also has the zero for the fool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting that like, you know, in Arabic, L just means the. <laughs> the. 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 One. And you were saying about the Archangel Zadkiel before, which is really quite interesting because that, besides being cognate with tzaddik, as we were saying, righteousness, um, the the archangel Zadkiel actually embodies mercy he because he was supposed to be the archangel who restrained the uh the dagger when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac so there's that quality of you know you don't have to do this you know there right, is infinite right. forgiveness he kind of balances out the um the angel of Gevora that's the avenger right right the punisher <laughs> the burner right. god's burner <laughs> God's hitman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's interesting about the wheel is that it actually connects to Chesed and connects from Chesed to Netzach, which is the Sephira of Venus, which as we've said before, is you know, this connection between the greater and lesser benefics. So, right, so of course, cha-ching, cha-ching. fortune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the path you want to travel if if you have financial concerns. Mm, I don't know. I was just kind of thinking a little bit about the paths of temperance and the moon um, insofar as, you know, we have the Tiferet to Yasod middle path of temperance or art. And then we have the path from Netzach to Malkut of the moon. And again, that sort of emphasizes to me the sort of like, you know, those two different aspects of 
Jupiter, the, 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 the middle path one being that aspirational, um, looking for the great principles behind everything, um, how to live a good life type thing. Whereas the Pisces one is about, um, the moon one is about connecting with your emotions between that and the real world. And, um, you know, the unconscious motivations and movements beneath the surface of the earth. The Sagittarius Pisces thing, like truth and faith, you know? Yeah. We got the, um, the virtues and vices of Hesed. So oh, yeah. the virtue mm-hmm. is obedience. And that sounds, you know, like something you'd have to give to your king or your boss, but I think it's more about obedience to your own will. Yeah. There's a, um, sort of just integrity of listening truly to what your divine will is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And just and, not going against then it. Then the vices are all the uh, problems of kings and those in power, you know, um, <laughs> lots of excess, gluttony, hypocrisy, tyranny, bigotry, mm-hmm. all the dangers of sitting <laughs> on the throne. <laughs> gluttony. I was just thinking about that the other day because – Somebody was asking on the Fortunes Wheelhouse Academy group about, you know, how to just sort of manage your life. And we were talking about planetary hours and, you know, try to write during Mercury hour, et cetera, et cetera. But I said, I, I normally just seem to find myself eating during Jupiter hour. <laughs> yeah, overindulgence, it's, it's definitely oh my God. the dangers of Jupiter. Yeah. And it comes both from the Sagittarian and the Piscean side. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a cliche about Pisces and kind of, uh, self undoing and uh, mm. substance abuse, and but Sagittarius rules the liver, man. <laughs> you know, like, so there's going to be some gluttony or some kind of overindulgence at some point when Jupiter is involved. Yeah, I think that it's um, it's bound to happen in the sense that, like, when you catch a sense of the myth of yourself and you feel a little greater than life, you know, I think that's in a sense what what substances do for us when we don't have that inside our minds, you know, they, they allow us to travel to a place where we can see our own myths. And the thing is that they're always there. You don't have to have a substance to get to them, but the substance allows you to perceive it more easily. Yeah. I'd almost think that like the temperance or art or Sagittarian side of things could be the entheogenic component, you know? Yeah. And the, uh, the moon is definitely the escapist, narcotic, hallucinatory component. But that you can see how they overlap. Hesed kind of could be summed up by Crowley's phrase, love is the law, love under will. You know, we've got the mm-hmm. love, we've got the law, and we've got the will <laughs> all, all in one place. You know? Nice. The magical weapon of Jupiter is interesting. It's the scepter, right? Well, there's a couple, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the orb, the mm-hmm. wand, the scepter, and the crook, as in like the shepherd's or bishop's mm-hmm. crook. Mm-hmm. As in crook, as in crook and flail. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the, 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 and of course, there's the thunderbolt. Right. Uh, yes. Right. But, uh, but Crowley says something really, really interesting about the scepter. And this is just when he's talking about planetary Jupiter which is that it's a symbol of authority, but it's not a weapon, really. As soon as it you challenge it, it could break. And it has, as soon as it is challenged, you have to discard it for the thunderbolt. <laughs> you know, the, the symbol is powerful, but it also needs to be defended. Then there's, you know, the whole 
shepherd's crook thing, you know, mm-hmm. which is you see the the bishops as the religious authority versus the mundane authority, right? The divine authority. So the double letter attribute of we haven't talked about cough. So oh yeah, yeah cough. So cough. I've looked this up like five million times, but um, we often talk about the difference between cough and yod, both of which mean hand, and cough being associated with the Wheel of Fortune and Jupiter, and yod being associated with the Hermit and Virgo, as well as lots of other things. <laughs> but um, but cough has carries that idea of protection. So, for example, if you put your palm like a visor over your head at your forehead to shade yourself from the sun. There's that in it. And there's also the the palm as being open in the gesture of receiving, which is implied as well in that. Yeah, it's interesting the way you sometimes do see it as palm and uh, more more often as palm, but also as mm-hmm. fist. Mm-hmm. Oh, remember you asked me once where where that came from? Yeah, the fist idea. I don't idea. know the source, but I mm-hmm. think where I most recently saw it was in Wang. Yes, I've seen it in Wang as well. Yeah. Yes. But I wish I knew where he got it. <laughs> yeah. So, so cough as a double letter has, you know, always those two attributes that go with double letters. And that's in this case, it's riches and poverty, which is no surprise, right? right. And uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Yeah. And uh, you know what's interesting is that, so the word for wealth in Hebrew that they use in Sefer Yetzirah is oser, and the word for poverty is one. Those are both, those are both pretty straightforward. There's no weird twist to them. But the funny thing is that there's a homophone for oser, because oser is spelled with an ayin at the beginning, but then there's oser with an aleph at the beginning, and it's pronounced the same way, but it means happiness. So, mm, you know, it's almost like if you were just listening, you wouldn't know if you wealth were talking about happiness. wealth and happiness. Go figure. <laughs> Who says money doesn't buy happiness? <laughs> <laughs> Another symbol of Hesed that we didn't mention is the solid figure. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. The first <laughs> manifestation below the abyss. So, And right. it's the um, tetrahedron. So that's the triangular three-sided pyramid with the fourth side as the base. So it's got the four, mm-hmm. the, you know, but it's not the four side. It's not the pyramid. It's the right. tetrahedron. The tetrahedron. I think it's really interesting, the um, the idea of four generally, because on the one hand, it provides stability. It can be stagnant, as we sometimes see in four cards, but it also is a container. It's like a box for everything else, right? So the way we say chesed is the container for everything. It's the keter of the lower sephirot. Right. You know, it contains everything that follows. Is this where we usually talk about the number cards? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Okay. So this is the part I haven't thought about at all. Um. <laughs> so, so chesed, of course, is connected with all four cards. I mean, all cards that are Cards of the number four. Completion, luxury, truce, and power. Mm-hmm. Completion, blended pleasure, uh, rest from strife, and earthly power. Those are all chesed, as we were saying, as well as aspects of Jupiter. And I think, you know, the, the, the key word that I use for fours is gathering up, or gathering or gathering up, which is, you know, not just the idea that everything is con- 
contained in there, but if you sort of play it through the four suits, you know, it's a, um, I think of the four of wands as like, you know, a, a gathering of the drives, you know, this sort of celebration where you can kind of put a kiss on things. And then the, the, the four of cups as a gathering of emotions, a collecting yourself. Oh, we just entered that deck in today. As a matter of fact, there's a meditative quality to it and a sort of brimful quality of it as well. So questions of satisfaction and satis- dissatisfaction combined in there in Blended the gathering. Pleasure. Blended pleasure in the gathering of mo- emotions. And then I think of the four of swords as, Really, the gathering of thoughts, like when you say, I have to gather my thoughts, I need to step aside and think, you know, and it's, um, it's funny that we use that as a as a sort of a synonym for I need to calm down, whereas, you know, your thoughts don't necessarily make you calm down. But if you gather them, perhaps they do, you know, if you gather them into one place and have a larger Jupiterian perspective. And then with the, you know, obviously, with the power four of discs, it's just gathering gathering your stuff in the bank. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a funny word to use for me as a keyword gathering, since a a lot of the spirit of cassette is about distribution, but you can't distribute if you haven't gathered first. (laughs) Yeah, right. Got a harvest before you can hand out. Yeah, you have to receive in the palm before you can spin the wheel. Speaking of which, I guess it would be a good segue for some of the other kind of mythological influences on Jupiter. So we already talked a little bit about Zeus and his uh, parentage uh, (laughs) and grandparentage. We joke about him as being the father of all, literally, because whether he (laughs) comes to you as a bull or a dove or a swan or a shower of gold, (laughs) he's definitely interested. Yes, um, Panto Ganeth, Larche yes. Panton. Yeah. So uh, some of his children, though, are are really applicable. So especially with Themis, goddess of justice, mm-hmm. he uh, fathered the fates. Mm. So, you know, who are called the daughters of night, as in your destiny is hidden in darkness. Mm-hmm. You cannot know it. And uh, also called the uh, Daughters of the Just Heavens, which kind of speaks to the parentage, you know, the just heavens being Zeus and Themis. It's kind of combined. Yeah, the three fates that spin. Mm -hmm. Clotho. Spins, Lachesis, measures, Mm -hmm. and Atropos cuts at the allotted time. And that's what we cannot know. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because we always see on the wheel iconography of four, but also iconography of three, the three elements on the wheel. Right, just like the Mm -hmm. tetrahedron is the three sides joined by the fourth on the bottom. Exactly, nice, 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 nice. So you have the, the, there's always the, that quality of waxing and waning of rising, regnabo, regno, regnawi, you know, I will rule, I rule, and I have ruled. Yeah, you see that in the Wait Smith wheel card too, that mm-hmm. there's three figures, but then there's the four creatures in the in the four corners. Yes, and the it, fourfold structure of the wheel itself. It's kind of funny how the, you, you kind of see, especially in that card, the connection with uh, another card that, a card that does um, reduce to three, the universe or world card, there is a connection with the wheel and the universe in a certain sense. And you see it with the with the Karubic creatures in the White Smith For sure. card. And uh, also how I think it's Levi who says something about 
the the wheel um, of Ezekiel being the one that's in the depiction, the Rider Waite depiction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that four and three thing is something that we also see, you know, for example, in the temperance card in Rider Waite with the, you know, the, the sort of plaque on the angel's breast of the triangle over the square. Yeah. It's about the squaring of the circle, I think. You yeah. Know, the four and the three. The three seems very circular, you know, Father, Son, Holy Ghost kind of a mm-hmm. cycle mm-hmm. type thing, whereas then there's the four of cherubic creatures and whatnot, you know, the, right. the circle squared that you, we always more often talk about in the universe or, or world card. But there's definitely a parallel here in the wheel. Plus, four plus three is seven, and you think of the four to the seven, the path from Chesed to Netzach, which is the path of the wheel. So there's that that sort of ties into it as well. So anyway, there's more. Um, Jupiter to the Egyptians was Amun, Father God, and to the Hindus right. was Vishnu, the preserver. But mm-hmm. Zeus himself can kind of be thought of as all three of the Hindu trinity, you know, Vishnu, um, Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Because when you look at, you know, depictions of Zeus, he's on a throne that's on a mountain, and he's holding a thunderbolt, and he's in one hand, and then in the other hand, he's holding the staff of life. So he's got the creator and the destroyer, and he's on the mountain, you know, the preserver. He's Mm -hmm. like... He's mm-hmm. kind of like all three rolled up into one. Then there's also Indra, which kind of has some similarities. Uh, was King of Heaven, removed blocks to prosperity and happiness. And then, you know, he's kind of a hero. He carried the thunderbolt. But then in a lot of depictions, he's also kind of a, a hedonistic guy, which kind of fits too. <laughs> <laughs> so this past Jupiter transit, where did where did it go in your chart? It's on my son right now. No! Awesome! It's retrograde, though. I know, but but what the awesome. hell? It's going to make it all the way to within one degree of my son, then it's going to turn around and go direct, and maybe that's when the payout will be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen much yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I things are good, you. so hey, I'm not things complaining. Things are good. It's been going over my Definitely mid-heaven. Definitely has a payout in zucchini. You want me? <laughs> Okay. We're we're in the season of you got to eat a zucchini every day in some different way (laughs) or else they will overtake. Speaking of Big J. Right. (laughs) The Big Zook. Are we ready to talk to Canic Miners yet? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so first let's talk about the Eight of Swords, Jupiter and Gemini. The only one that, you know, at least on the appearance of it, has more of a negative affect yeah. in any deck Jupiter than the others. Jupiter detriment there. Yeah, so. yeah, and low on the tree. Um, mm-hmm. And again, this is interesting because it, Reminds me of that whole um, low on the tree and off balance. Yeah, right, it's the only one of the five. Right, and again, Jupiter does not do well theoretically in a mercurial sign because he is the disdainer of science. It's interesting though that that's an air card, and mm-hmm. he is Jupiter is the lord of air in a sense. Like you, it's not all bad though. It's like, not at all as far as bad cards go. It's not one of them. Yeah, I think of this as, well, it's the fate versus free will card, I call it all the time. But, but, but I was thinking of it also as questions of faith and doubt, you know, because Mercury is a great doubter. <laughs> He's a tester. He's a scientist. It's like right. nothing is, uh, nothing is confirmed until it's tested. Whereas Jupiter asks you for blind faith. 
Right. And it does speak to the fact that the wheel isn't all about the ups. It's the, the revolutions and the, the changes and the challenges, you know, as well. Yes. Yes. It's not always, you're not always on top of the wheel. It reminds me of like, because it's Gemini, which is associated with the lovers, which is associated with the Eden story. It reminds me a little bit of what happens with the great test of Eden, which is like, are you going to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge or not? Right. You don't have to. But if you're Mercury, you do. Um, but the, but the ask is just trust me. And of course, the punishment is grave. Nevertheless, the Deccan associated with this is all about, you know, the, the gifts, the writing, the computation, the, the science, really, the mm-hmm. giving and taking of facts and knowledge. So, you know, as you say, even in detriment, Jupiter's never all that bad. Yeah, he's just navigating some of his twists and turns here. Yeah, so it's almost like, you know, Jupiter and Hode is this sort of like empowerment of the intellect. And sometimes that causes paralysis, right? Yeah. That sort of like overstimulation, there's too much going too on. Too many choices. Too many choices. Dis- uh, analysis paralysis or decision paralysis. You know, one of the meanings of this card for me is it's one of the cards of meditation for me because sometimes it's good to just put the clutch in and let go, you know, of all of the things that your mind is holding on to and to go into that place of blind faith until things change, which they inevitably will because this is the wheel. When you, when people who are new to tarot see the Rider Waite Smith version, they often get very upset. Yeah. There's not that much. Pleasant. It doesn't look pleasant. But there's really nothing harming her. No. She's just a little entangled. She's a little entangled. Snagged bobbin. Yeah, remember when we did the thing and looked at the Thoth card and figured out what all those different swords were? Yeah. <laughs> the massive variety of life. That's the thing about swords and Yetzira. It's like the wild diversity of species. It's almost monkey mind card. Too. It is a monkey mind card for sure. Speaking of the ape of thought there. Right. Um, and then the six of wands, Jupiter in Leo too, that wonderful Very balance happy. part. Point. Yeah. 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 That's the top of the wheel. That's the top of the wheel, really. That's the regno point. And, you know, those laurel, those laurels are the adornment of whoever's sitting at the top of the wheel. I think of it as you know, magically as a card that you can use for public anything, public fame, public publication, public speaking, uh, recognition of mm-hmm. all kinds. Right, because it's not only got Jupiter. We talked a little about the, how the sun and Jupiter mm-hmm. were similar, both about, you know, people in power, pe- rulers, and that's got both because it's a six. So it has the solar influence and then it's got the Jupiter influence too. Yeah, it's a really... Fantastic moment in the sun, <laughs> literally. Right. <laughs> the Lord of Victory. In the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. And the um, decanic associations for that. This is the one that's about war and naked swords. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, they kind of frame it in the context of martial victory, but it also is about beauty, writing, and the ascension of a base and ignorant man. Again, this is this quality of Jupiter slash Chesed that the um, the goods are unearned, right? You're going to receive 
the fame and recognition, not because you're such an awesome person, but because there's mercy in the universe. And sometimes bad people get good things too. You don't have to earn everything. But that also benefits everyone, the idea that there's a little forgiveness built into the system. But also, I thought it was funny that it's writing because of the horse in <laughs> Rider Waite Smith. And then the Four of Swords. That's a really weird one in terms of the uh, decanic stuff, but a really nice one cabalistically. It's truce or rest from strife. That seems to be like the still point of the wheel, you know, the equilibrium yes. part. Even as it spins, you know, yeah. it's perfect balance of a spinning top. And this is one of those other meditative cards for me, the idea that the, the idea of truce itself is the generous spirit, right? It's like, we're at war, but we can make accommodation. There's a, a moment in between that sort of Saturn and Mars kind of... Right, let's uh, make an agreement. Let's make an agreement. It's better for both of us. It's mutual benefit. But the decanic meanings are... <laughs> I don't even get it. Evil works, sodomy, and flavors... <laughs> I don't even get (laughs) it at all. (laughs) I mean, and I I mean, I've tried to think about this and I I, I just don't understand it. I mean, doesn't make sense here. There, there rises in the third phase of Libra, a man riding a donkey with a wolf in front of him. This is a face of evil work, sodomy, adultery, singing joy and flavors. Oh. Joy and f- singing joy and flavors and evil works. And, eh. You know, and I thought Some that... Some of those are just incomprehensible. Well, you know, I mean, they were probably ingesting substances in order to see these visions at all. But at the same time, you got to wonder... I mean, Agrippa has something similar. Of course, Agrippa's based on the Picatrix too, but it has ascendeth a violent man holding a bow. So that's a little bit of the victory and the sort of like unearned success. And before him, a naked man, and also another man holding bread in one hand and a cup of wine in another. Well, there's the sodomy and flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and there's three of them. <laughs> The signification of these is to show wicked lust, singing, sports, and gluttony. So, you know, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. It's extremely, obviously, homophobic and misguided in some ways. I actually think this Deccan and this card are really particularly nice Jupiter cards. Yeah. uh, Jupiter placements. And then the two of... Discs is where Jupiter is in fall, but as we've said before, it's not so bad. Not at all. It's not it's so harmonious bad. change. Yeah, it's a really interesting spot. Those are the ups and downs of the wheel. Right, and that is the, the hinge point of the solstice as well, mm-hmm. uh, winter or summer, depending on where you are. So um, no matter what happens, something's going to change. The, the the vector has just gone in the opposite direction. And the full title points out that it's a harmonious change, so it's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. You know, expansion and contraction that drives the engine of everything. It's to right. be wel- the change that's to be welcomed as what powers life. If you were to stop it, everything would end. Yeah. And I think that there's a message as well, you know, in the infinity signs we always see on those mm-hmm. two of um pentacles or discs in that right. you know the cycles. it's the cycles it's mm-hmm. the ever ever changing cycles every 
Part of it needs to contain its opposite in order to be whole. And it's also Jupiter and Chokmah, you know. Oh, and we forgot to say that the four is Jupiter and Chesed. So, of course, it does well, right? right? right. But the um, the Jupiter and Chokmah, you know, again, this is the, the, the pillar of force. And again, that sort of um, universal wisdom. So... I actually think that there's something about this card right, that's... Pokemon and Hesed are connected, you know, that's like the... Through the Hierophant. Uh, right, and mm-hmm. and Hesed you could think of as the, the earthly father, you know, whereas... Hakma is the supernal father. Yeah, the supernal father, you know, the divine father behind all that. Yes, it's almost like, you know, if Keter is the the before the impulse to form, the uh, Hakma starts to direct it. Right, and then Bina yeah, and it kind receives of, it, and then it makes it and all then the way to Hesed. Makes yeah. it all the way to Hesed into something—the first manifestation of something real below right, the abyss. Where it goes to the form that started, and Bina goes to work. And Hesed. yes, and I think that like the idea of Hakma being uh, associated with wisdom kind of reinforces that idea of Jupiter as the creator of theories of everything. Um, yeah, this is the curious spirit that drives people to try and figure stuff out. It's an ingenious inventing spirit, but it's also a generalizing and theorizing spirit. And there's some connection there with, you know, Capricorn, the devil. Yeah. The devil as, you know, the, um, you know, Lucifer, the light bringer, and as the Lord of the gates of matter. Right. The four and the ten having that mystical significance with each other. Yeah, that's interesting. The idea of, of matter. I mean, it's like there's a spirit of how does this thing work, right? You know, we're stuck here. How does this, how do we make this machine go? <laughs> and then the the nine of cups is Jupiter in Pisces in his happy place yeah, and double, his most powerful. influence, right? Yes, as it's, powerful you know, as it gets. The Jupiter ruling the Deccan and... Jupiter ruling the sign as well. Also in the middle pillar. Also in the middle pillar in that incredibly powerful place where where dreams are made. Yeah. Yeah. Visions and dreams. The treasure house of images, as they say. Yeah. And to me, this is the Jupiter. This is the form of Jupiter we go to in magic, right? The place that when we ask for stuff, (laughs) that's what we're doing, right? With our hands outstretched, saying, please, please, please. We're in the Nine of Cups position and hoping for the best, blowing out those candles on the birthday cake or wishing on a star or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, and it also reminds me a little bit of that sort of connection we've talked about where where Jupiter has lunar qualities that it's almost like he has... Um, the power over the waxing and the waning. So please, Jupiter, you know, wax this and wane this. (laughs) Wax on, wax off. (laughs) Yeah, Jupiter in both signs, Sagittarius and Pisces, seems to have some kind of like questing vibe to it, you know? Yes. One's a a quest through the subconscious realms, you know, the... The barge through the the night, and and then there's the Sagittarian quest, which is kind of more of the day the day quest. <laughs> yeah, I think whenever anyone the, says the to themselves, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> like there has to be more than this. That's a Jupiter sensation. Seeker, yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, so that's that for decanic minors. Yeah, I think, I think so. we're down to correspondences. Correspondences. Love the correspondences of Jupiter. They're so interesting. 
Agrippa says that like the main one is the air, <laughs> the air you breathe. Gotta have it. Yeah. Right. Whenever it's nice out, which seems so rare here, <laughs> you know, but I mean, like there are those beautiful days when it's just really easy to live in your skin. To me, that's a very Jupiterian thing. You yeah. know, the mildness and the pleasantness, just being happy to be alive. I like the, um, the odors because this, are described yeah. as expansive and also expensive. <laughs> yes. I think it's also all generous odors, right. which they better be. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. For the price of it. Yeah, right. I mean, saffron, right? The saffron most expensive. Oud. Yeah, oud for sure. And even historically, nutmeg, cinnamon, cloves were all, right, right. They you were know? forms of currency. Yeah. I once did a spice presentation for my daughter's kindergarten and I told them that, you know, this nutmeg here once was like worth a million dollars. And when I, <laughs> when I, when I left, one of the kids had taken the nutmeg. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say one of the little bastards stole it, didn't he? <laughs> and I was like, aww. <laughs> it's yeah. not worth a million dollars now. Yeah. I think the same thing happened to me once, but with a little chip of, uh, of opal that somebody found and I made the mistake of showing it to a kid and yeah. they pocketed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> How can you be mad? You know, right. this is so cute. Probably it's- thought he was going to buy his mom a house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's balm of Gilead, which I think is, you know, again, one of Sounds those sort of soothing. soothing. A lot of those sort of resinous, sweet the things. The stones are... Um- Interesting because uh, yeah. amethyst, which traditionally protected against drunkenness, which seems very good for Sag and Pisces. For sure. <laughs> for sure. You really need it. <laughs> and and then, lapis uh, lazuli. Yeah. Beautiful. And turquoise. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and turquoise. Blue sky blue stone and dark, deep blue stone. And then Vedically yellow sapphire for Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. Turquoise is also said to be protective. Oh. If it's given as a gift. Interesting. Yeah. It's, is that but so? Only if it, well, uh, that's well, who knows? Have, that's what they say about tarot too. Thus have what... I heard that turquoise <laughs> will protect you from accident or injury, but only if it's given as a gift. So it will break instead of you breaking, basically, if you're mm. in an accident. Yeah. The, the playwright, Larry Kramer, I remember that he went through a period where he dressed and wore all turquoise to, you know, try and ward off the specter of AIDS. And I think he succeeded, too. I don't really remember. Uh, another thing that's interesting, metals of Jupiter are tin, tin silver, and gold as well. And mm. according to Agrippa, that's because all three of them are easily worked. They're malleable, mm. which is kind of interesting, right? Unlike, say, Mars, iron, and steel or... Yeah. Then I saw um, olives, which makes sense because they press the rich golden oil from them. Yes. I think there is an association of Jupiter with all things kind of fatty and sweet. Mm -hmm. Venus too, but um, but the olives specifically rich. Yes. Yes. And then opium, which is interesting to me because I always kind of associated that with Pisces. Mm-hmm. And the moon card, there you have it. <laughs> and there you have it, right. Because of its Jupiter's ruling Pisces. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting about the olive is that, you know, when you think about it, Athena was the one who created the olive tree, and she's mm-hmm. his his yeah, daughter his as head. well, came <laughs> yeah. out of his head. So there's, an, there's a provenance there. But also with the opium, 
you know. Well, it's certainly worth a lot of money. It's worth a lot of money. I mean, it's also, you know, originally, you know, it was to take away pain. And that's one of the functions of Jupiter is to soften the hard edges of life. compassion. Yeah, yeah. Morphine was viewed as an angel of mercy, really. Mm -hmm. And even now it is. It's an an end-of-life drug, you know, to help... Ease people out of yeah, the difficult parts. That's interesting because Jupiter is associated with death in its own way. Like mm-hmm. what I've read is that more often than not, you see Jupiter transits at the time of someone's passing because the death comes as a release and a relief of the earthly cares or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's true. It's very, it's, it's a very Pisces, uh, way of looking at it. You know, this is the end of the cycle when right. we dissolve into the greater sea. Mm-hmm. The unicorn. <laughs> oh, the, the unicorn. The really. Oh, really? Yes. One yes. Them, which... As well as the eagle. Yep. Of course. No. Um, owl, um, dolphins, whales, elephants, the mm-hmm. big ones. <laughs> All domestic Horses, animals course, I've yeah. seen. Um, all that are wise, gentle, mild, and stately, <laughs> which I think is great. But horses, too. Horses are interesting. I mean, like, practically everybody has a relationship to horses, it seems like, of the gods. Yeah, different aspects of the horse, I guess. Yeah. They're such important animals in, back in those times. Right. Sheep, in particular, domesticated animals, sheep. I don't know why, but the cuckoo. It lays its eggs in other birds' nests? I don't know. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. know. That's weird. Other plants I have like um oh pineapples. <laughs> I guess because oh, of the crown. Pineapples crowns. were a symbol of wealth back yes. in the day. So I could see that. Yeah, and, and there's the also color. Right. Um all sweet fruits that are you know, have a little sharpness or acidity to them are Jupiterian. I've mm-hmm. heard like rhubarb, um, which is, you know, very acidic. Fruit trees in general, nut trees, <laughs> of course. Almonds. Almonds yeah. are definitely Jupiterian. Yeah. Oak trees, of course. Yes. The king of trees. Right. Yeah. Both for their size and their age, I think. And their power and hardness, strength. Yeah. Ash as well for its strength. Grains in general. I mean, you could literally survive on all of the things that are associated with Jupiter, which right. seems and you'd be apt. Doing pretty good. <laughs> and yeah. you'd be doing well. Yeah. yeah, yeah Oats yeah. and apples and things like that, I think are... Yeah. Jupiter, horse food, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, horse food. Oh, the colors. We didn't do Oh, colors, so, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Jupiter, beautiful colors. Violet, blue, rich purple, and blue rayed yellow. Whereas Hesed's colors are similar. Uh, deep violet, blue, deep purple, and deep azure flecked yellow. <laughs> so it's all blues and yellows and purples. Yeah, and you see that also in the gemstones associated with Jupiter. Right, the turquoise and the lapis and the amethyst and the yellow sapphire. And the yellow, the gold, that's something that you see in the decanic color faces. I think Picatrix has, let's see, for the five faces of Jupiter that we talked about, it's yellow, yellow, white, green, and tawny. So go figure. I don't really understand those decanic color faces, but they always seem to correspond a little bit in some way to um, what you would expect for the planet. For the colors, one thing mm. that is interesting about all those blues, violets, purples, and golds are um, they're all royalty colors, you know, colors True. of emperors and kings. You know, the, yeah. The expensive purple and 
blue dyes and golden things. <laughs> right. Things that were hard to make and hard to come by. I mean, lapis lazuli, you know, Very was dear, incredibly right? dear, as well as the color purple, tree right, and purple. the ultramarine blue that yeah. lapis was made into. Which is why it was only used for the Virgin Mary's robe right. in medieval paintings. Yeah. yeah. So this has been the Jupiter episode in which we have talked about many themes of of primarily surrounding mercy, expansion, religion, benediction, questing, benevolence, prosperity, destiny, evolving, peace and profit, kingship, <laughs> theories of everything, philosophy and religion, heavenly fathers, righteousness and piety, obedience to will, dreams and fantasies spiritual aspiration to the sublime versus transcending and dissolving into the sublime spirit and fortune motion and the stillness of equilibrium versus stillness and the motion of flux and reflux the heavens and the sea and the earth and everything else the fates that's right. Daughters of night who hide our destinies. De the fourth Sephira actually corresponds to the first day of creation. There which you have it. Makes sense. <laughs> the progenitor of everything, Big Daddy, and Lord of the Forces of Life. All right, we good? We're good. Let's call it good. Thank you, Big Daddy. And we will be back next time. Hmm, with the other one. <laughs> <laughs> the one who shall not be named. Yes, yes. The Lord of time and space and endings. Karma. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And that's our episode for this week. If you love Fortune's Wheelhouse, and really, who doesn't, you may want to pick up the book version of the podcast. It's called Tarot Deciphered, Decoding Esoteric Symbolism in Modern Tarot, and it's available both online and in bookstores. In Tarot Deciphered, you can find just about everything we talk about in the podcast. Well, almost everything. There aren't quite so many dick jokes. And it's over 600 pages, so when you're not reading it, you can use it as a doorstop, or a paperweight, or a flower press. Whatever floats your boat. If you'd like to connect with over a thousand smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends on social media, you can visit the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook, which is open to all. Many of us, including myself, are there every day posting our daily draws and spells to go with them, and it's a great place to see esoteric tarot in action. Fortune's Wheelhouse has a red bubble shop where you can load up on Fortune's Wheelhouse merch, including coffee mugs, t-shirts, and notebooks printed with all the astrological correspondences of the minor arcana, because we are nerds. That is at redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Mel's main store, where you can read her articles and subscribe to her newsletter, is at tarotcart.com. Her auction site, which has periodic offerings of out-of-print items, one-of-a-kind items, art prints, and original art, is at tarotcart.auction. And her website for new work and updates on her projects is, as always, tabulamundi.com. You can find me at tsusanchang.com, 
where you can find links to my classes, sign up for a reading or mentorship session, and learn about my upcoming events. And if you're interested in my custom arcana cases and silken brocade for your decks and my customized astrological perfumes, you can find those at etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. You can also get talismanic eight of wands, keychains, and luggage tags there because everybody needs those. So come visit us online and pick up something wonderful for a tarot-loving friend or just for yourself because you are a hero of the astral plane and we so appreciate your support.